Welcome to Game of Notes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello everybody, welcome to Game of Nodes, the podcast by independent validators of the Cosmos. So today we have Sonny coming to join us, but he's running a little bit late. So introductions of our regular uh, participants that are here today. So we've got uh, Usurper and Schultze and myself, Null. And Sonny is joining us. He's just running a little bit late. So we thought that we would start the show and we would just do a few um, follow-up questions, talk a bit of shit and uh, discuss random questions from the uh, audience if you guys have any. So sorry about the delay, um, but let's get down to it. So do either of you guys have any questions that have been asked this week that you think we should be looking into maybe the uh validator commons um usurper maybe do we want to touch on the the two groups that have sort of formed in the last week or so and then maybe discuss a little bit about some benefits and pitfalls of going down this route yeah we can so uh, schultz and we're both actually just in a call with the validator commons group which is um, I'm not sure what the origins are of that. Actually, I just met uh, one of the principals from that this morning is actually in the town where I live, which is pretty fascinating. Um, it's always interesting to run into people, you know, like in the crypto space in real life when it's not like at a giant show and things like that. Um, I tell you, but, there's some weird thing about Pennsylvania and crypto. There could I've be. I don't know. so many people yeah. that are from Pennsylvania and do crypto. Yeah. We should share address books. I like to meet more folks. Um, so anyway, the, I think the, the commons group... Um, there's some there's some really you know large and prestigious validators and like uh, course one is in there and Stakefish and and there's others in there as well um, and and that that group is uh, I don't want to speak for them because you can go look at I think it's validator you know what this is let me find the I'll find the I'll find the link as we talk about it um, but they trying to work on um, solving some different problems and and. And trying to be able to provide some research and other types of data sources to the cosmos, I think is a good way of saying it. And um, they also, I think the background of that group is outside of even crypto, we're starting to talk about um, just governance in virtual worlds. And then now the cryptocurrency piece has really kind of driven that a lot since we've had, um, not just in the cosmos, but across the, you know, across the whole space around different types of uh, governance and kind of ownership uh components and and challenges right and, and how do you start building up a governance structure that makes sense so that that group um i think originally um might have started a little bit more around the balance of validator groups and maybe project foundations and just kind of like project leadership areas and then that's one team that's 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 been discussing i think for a while and then recently um uh we had uh another group that's formed really more grassroots and in a whisper node really drove this and also help me out guys who else drove that initially uh thyborg was also a big proponent of it thyborg as well and so that started a group called cosmos validators which has a discord and actually there's a decent amount of cosmos validators in that discord now right there's i don't I mean, there's a bunch of people in there um and that i think is um also talking similar types of areas just maybe a little bit of different focus that focus i think has been we talked about a little bit this last week, but that focus has been a little bit more 
around almost like validator self-policing or finding ways to be able to better share validator information out to delegates and others, which is, again, I think everybody wants the same goal. It's just different ways of of talking about that in kind of different areas of the problem. So, um, and now these groups have been starting to discuss more and there's opportunities for maybe finding better ways to, you know, communicate and kind of build some structure around it. And I think, I don't think anybody's trying to necessarily, um, you know, change the structure of governance completely. I think, I think both groups and I don't know if we got that. I don't know if I'm fair enough on this conclusion yet, but I would say that the, Cosmos Validator Group is kind of focusing more around providing delegators better information and allowing validators to be able to provide other information than just voting power on how they might choose to delegate with someone, which I think is totally valuable because uh, there's so many great projects that validators do that that you would never, unless you're in this business, like 100% of the time, you would never know what that is, right? And, and how do you see some of those just by accident, right? Um, and then on the common side, you know, they're I think they're trying to find ways to be able to work with foundational groups to better say what is a healthy validator set look like and what are some of the proponents of that um, and how do you work it from that angle? So I don't know if that's a, I, the reason I'm kind of hesitating on being more specific is because I don't think any of this has been figured out, right? We're just kind of in the early part of the process. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know too much about the validator commons yet. I haven't looked into that. I, I was talking to Jake yesterday morning and he actually asked me what I thought about it, but I misunderstood and thought he was talking about the um, the Cosmos Validators League and then so started to ramble shit about that for 20 minutes. So um, I think what the Cosmos Validators League, if that's what it's called, or maybe it's just called Cosmos Validators I think now. Changed, I think they changed it to just Cosmos Validators now. Yeah, so I think what they're trying to do there has some merit, Um I think that the way validators are presented to the public um, needs to be improved, specifically like when you go to any of the major staking platforms, they're just ranked by by power, right? And inherently, um, because of conditioning of other things, um, when users come and they see a list and they're uneducated about validating or how proof of stake works, they think bigger is better and I want to be on the big boat um, because it's got less chance of sinking and my my funds are more safe. Whereas that's wholly not the case. Um, most validators are sound throughout most of the cosmos. There's a small percentage that get jailed occasionally, right? So as far as getting your funds slashed, it's a reasonably low risk across the board. And like you say, there are so many validators that do so much for the networks they validate on and that's not all of them some don't do anything they just turn on their validator and sign blocks and that's fine as well because that's the job people who add extra value um are going above and beyond right yeah so so the big question is how how is it presented to the public and how do you get the public to um, recognize, uh, you know, the value from from other people. And that's the hard part because the staking platform is like an inter- intermediary between the user and the network, right? So you're introducing like a 
points where there can be manipulation for profit and um, any ranking system is going to be um, subjective. So, I mean, you've got on on uh, on chain metrics which are not that subjective. You can, uh, you know, they're calculable. But I mean, even if you use those, even you want to give certain things a certain weighting, they can even be manipulated to improve the score of, uh, you know, certain validators. Like, say, if um, for example, you put a high weight to providing ancillary services like RPCs, LCDs, relaying, that type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Then those validators are going to get a higher score, right? But if you put a lower rate, they're going to get a lower score. If you put a higher weight on voting, validators that vote will get a higher score against others. So yeah. everything you pick and choose and do in there is subjective and it's all manipulatable to make certain valid- validators look good and other validators look bad. So if they do go down that route and if it does become a popular um, way of selecting validators, they really need to be sure that what they're providing um, is something that is simple and doesn't, it's not too like exclusionary to people who just want to sign blocks. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's, it's a, it's a, very um, important thing to make sure that you get right. Otherwise, yep. you might as well just have the current system. I think you make a lot of really good points. Um, to a certain extent, I kind of see what Crescent did it as the ideal situation. Um, not exactly, because what they do is if you use their platform to hit stake, they'll stake with like the top 11, right? Um, and won't stick anything below that. So that's not ideal. That means there's just focusing simplization. But the idea, that if you stay through their platform, it kind of chooses from a variety of validators and kind of weights them and stuff, um, such that effort can be put into other areas rather than just marketing what what you do, um, I think is, is a really compelling um, way, way of handling uh, distribution. And I think that the idea that going with the top one because it's the safest is actually a really interesting idea because if you think about staking rewards, like let's take Juno right now, staking rewards, I think 90 or hundred percent. If you're slashed, you use lose 0.01% of your staking rewards, right. Or of your, of your stake. That means you're losing like an hour and a half of your stake. So the fact that you're choosing someone so high up in order to be safe is you're saving an hour in order to focus voting power higher. And so it's this yeah. really weird dynamic that is kind of unexpected. People talk about all these slashing, a uh, downtime slashing, but the penalty for that is so low. It's almost not even worth talking about. Right. I also think so, that. Uh, just, sorry, just to cut in. Um, so Sonny's actually joined us here. I'll bring him up here. Uh, yeah. Sonny, we're talking about some other stuff, but we will introduce you in a tick and, and get going on with the show. But um, I think this is still pretty interesting to continue on with here. So uh, welcome, Sonny. Hey, Sonny. You are really, really quiet, man. Can barely hear you. Yeah, see if you can bump it up. Is this better? Test, test. One, two, yeah, a little keep, bit higher. Keep going, higher, more game. higher, 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 higher. Perfect. Okay, good. Okay, good. Cool. Okay. Um, perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, sorry, I'm late. I I took a nap and then uh, lost track of time by accident. Uh, but sorry about that. Uh, you guys are talking about validator decentralization. Yeah. So. Um, 
Everybody, this is Sunny. Sunny's from Osmosis. Um, we'll get an introduction, a self-introduction from him a little bit later on. We'll just continue the conversation we were having um, from Shilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sunny, the way this format works is we just sit here and talk shit for until we get sick of talking mm-hmm. shit. So if you uh, want to jump in and you've got any good uh, insight or comments about what mm-hmm. we're talking about, man, just jump in and, and have at it. So, yeah. um, yep. All right, Shilty. Continue. <laughs> I mean, I think that was basically what I had to say is that downtime slashing is mm-hmm. almost irrelevant in the greater scope of, of staking rewards. So trying to focus your stake higher up in order because it's so much safer is kind of like, not a fallacy, but it's kind of misguided. One, yeah. one thing that I think that would, um, you know, a proposal that we had very like a, a while ago in Cosmos, I don't know if it ever got finished to be implemented, but like... <clears throat> The slash should really be proportional to the size of the validator or the amount of nodes, like power that's offline. So if you are like delegated to a 10% validator versus a 1% validator and that 10% validator goes offline, then really that that slash should be like 10x more than if you were delegated to a 1% validator that went offline. So I think that kind of will help smooth it out so that way, you know, not just the amount gets is more, but it's like, you know, kind of like a square kind of thing almost like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these are, and these are the well, ideas. Sorry. No, I was going to say, these are ideas that, that like, that's a great idea. Like the, there's a lot of these types of things where you can make some either governance change or other types of things to drive specific behavior. So the, what we were talking about Sunday before you joined was mm-hmm. there's a kind of a group called validator commons that we, we've been talking to a little bit. And like, I think Jake's been on there and Chelsea and I were on there today a little bit, just kind of understanding what kind of what the goals are there. Um, and you have great validators, you know, like of course one and Stakefish and those types of things. And then you have this. Uh, we were just talking about the the Cosmos validators Discord group, which is from Thyborg and and Whisper Nodes really driving and just having kind of more conversations there. That's a little bit more grassroots from like validators just talking about other validators and things like that. But I think the I think the goal is and what we were saying before is and what a Null's concerns was. Like if you start building ranking on things that are very qualitative, right? And what you said, like no, it's like how do you weight like these different contributions to the ecosystem? You just get into a you just get into another bad ranking system, right? And then you also have another UX issue. Like one of the one of the goals of these teams was to say, all right, so if we don't do ranking, what we could do is just be able to provide more data to the delegator to make proper decisions around what value has been applied, right? But if I think about that, and if you have a hundred and I forget what is an os- osmosis, right? The 150 or 135 validators. And if I have a, I have, I have a, if I have an Excel spreadsheet of 135 and, and that's how many rows there are. And if I look at 12 columns across, because everyone's talking about RPC nodes and what projects they've done. And I did a pull request mm-hmm. on a docs site one time, then you have this information overload where you can't really build UX around that to help people make decisions anyway. Right. So there's, there's problems on both sides of this, which is there's a lot of, it's difficult to bring and, and kind of build a non-ranking system, but there's also so much information to provide that a delegator who's trying to make a decision might not, you know, you can't can't absorb all that and might not care to absorb all that anyway. So things like that were like that slashing concern, it's 10x or, you know, we've been talking about other ways of saying, is there a, is there a top limit on how much percentage or voting power a, de- a validator can get? And beyond that, you can't bond to them or other types of things to try to say, I want to try to avoid crazy spikes, mm-hmm. um, which I know, like, I know on the liquid staking side, I don't know if you guys, if that, if when you guys enabled liquid, did it, did it change dramatically um, the kind of the curve associated to 
the validator kind of distribution curve or did it, did it not make that big of a deal? Um, I don't think the superfluid really had a Didn't. big impact as far as I can tell. Um, I guess one thing that made superfluid a little bit different is like uh, just because of some time reasons, we made it so you can only superfluid delegate to one validator instead of like to multiple right. at once. Yeah. yeah, I just didn't know if that if that would if that if that looking back would have said oh, if I have only one to choose, I'm going to choose somebody in the top ten. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to put all these eggs into number 98 on the list because there's this mm-hmm. idea that, quote unquote, less secure, or like at risk or, you know, which all these other types of things that come up with that, which is not really true. Instead of ranking. So, so one of the, so one of the things that we actually want to do on osmosis to like kind of change a little bit of how the UX of staking works is currently it's very annoying that like every time you want to like redelegate your awards or something, you have to go like manually go to every single validator say, okay, I want to delegate, you know, 50 Osmo here, 20 here, 30 here or whatever. And that's like very annoying process. What, when instead what we want is actually, we want to like have this thing called validator set preferences where on chain, you basically say, Hey, I want to do 50% King nodes, 25% Lavender 5, 25% Rhino or something, right? And then it'll be like, and then I just click one button. Every time I want to delegate my rewards, I just click delegate, and it will automatically do it to that distribution. And then I think once you have that kind of thing, then you can have these like sort of like, um, I don't know, validator, like suggestion, like groups, right? Where we could be like, oh, here's a Here's a bunch of validators that run relayers. Uh, you know, here's a proposed, you know, you can right. say you click that and it'll import that as your validator set preference. So you could be like, I, here's a bunch of, you know, geographically distributed validators and you click that and it'll import them as your preference kind of thing. So um, I was talking with Jake uh, about this uh, like on-chain stuff, right? So I think like... Um, the best thing is to be able to control this would be like protocol level controls, right? Because anything that you introduce outside of the um, uh, network that is then controlled by someone else, right? And it's a central point of failure that can be manipulated. So um, I like I like that uh, as a as a way to select your. Um, your validator sunny but like that would in my mind be able to be implemented at a network level as well it would probably be difficult and it would involve things like um you know maybe people have to as a multi-sig or as a group vote on which validators provide what services etc um so another thought that uh, i had was and this this has been talked about um in various ways before in terms of like limitation of the amount of stake that a single validator can get because I don't necessarily mind that a validator get um, more stake, right? So that's that's not a problem to me. Like uh, if you look at OA on Evmos, right, I was probably uh, a little bit ahead of my understanding when I was like, giving them a hard time on Twitter. But they are one of the biggest, uh, com- well, not they're not a company, but they're, they're one of the biggest entities doing anything on Evmos, right? 
and they're probably providing the bulk of value to Evmos and they probably deserve to have a lot of the stake in Evmos, right, to support their business. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that. The problem is is the um, the security in the chain and it's not just it's voting but it's more so um you know if validators get too much weight and they fall over then it can halt the network right so that's the real problem in my sense is the fact that um say at the moment there's on some networks it will only take the top two validators to fall over and then the network stops right um on evmos it's the top four or five so say if um, coincidentally, they were all in the same data center and something happened to that, right? Then the network shuts off and that's it. So an idea we had was that if you could find a way to make sure that the stakes distributed um, but still provide like an allowance for people who market themselves and provide extra value, like incentivize good behaviors and, and value building, um, then that's a good avenue to go through as well. So, for example, we we thought that, um, say, if you take the total available um, stake and divided it by the amount of uh, validators, right, it's not fair to say that every validator gets the same amount of stake, but you could then apply like a multiplier, which could be a um, parameter on the on the network, that you know the maximum um, amount that any validator can have more than any other validator. So you say you've got a multiplier by six, and you say they can have six times more stake than than what anyone else can have, and then that way you still might get more power at the top. You know there, there will be a curve where maybe the top forty validators have more power than the rest of the network, rather than the top four. So. But there's there's so much stuff that comes along with that, like you know what happens when uh, people try to stake over that amount, or how do you control that, and, and all that various stuff. But um, that was some ideas we were thinking about. Does anyone have like any comments on that type of implementation on a way to control it, rather than like an external body doing the control for you? I mean, I kind of like the idea. It kind of falls within the idea of. You know, CEO should only make, let's say, a hundred times how much their their lowest level employee should make. You know, you've heard that thrown around all over the place. That's kind of the idea of what you're saying, right? Is that everyone starts at this multiplier of one, and it's acceptable for the top person to be at a little bit higher of a multiplier. Well, well, not necessarily. Everyone starts with yes. Yeah, so basically, if you set a multiplier of six, right, then that is the maximum they can have. So say, um, if you divided. Uh, I think I did some quick maths and said, like, if you've got 100 available tokens um, and you divided them by 135 and had a multiplier of six, then, like, you know, for the example, the the top validator can't have more than three or four percent of the network weight. Yeah. Um, and if so, I thought about some ideas about what might happen uh, if they did, like, um, you know, for example. Instead of limiting the delegation, you might limit the amount of rewards that a single validator can can get, um, and any rewards over that might get diverted to the community pool, and so their delegators will get like a um, a lower amount of relative rewards compared to um, people who aren't over the limit, 
or you could just redistribute it to the, the excess rewards to the rest of the set, um, or you could just directly stop people from being able to delegate above a certain amount. Um, and, you know, there's other things like what happens if the, the set expands or contracts, um, you know, you'd then have to impose those same rules against um, those. Val- Say if the, val- if, it, if the set expands, right, then the percent would reduce. So then you would have to still um, impose those penalties even though people didn't, I mean, directly go and stake above their limit. That'd be a good thing though, right? Because then it would immediately incentivize those that are staking with the high people to then go to the new newcomers, right? So then it would kind of level up that that voting power and that security almost immediately. Yeah, exactly. So people, you know, they'll say immediately uh, realize that they're getting like a lower um, percentage of the rewards and then they'd go and distribute their stake down to some other validators. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I- that was just me musing you know while i was taking a crap but um (laughs) i imagine something along those lines could work uh and to me that's like a more robust system than relying on other people to make um subjective decisions on people's value yeah i'm go ahead no, I was going to say, I do think, uh, aside from Secret pointed this out in the, in the chat as well, he said capping profits is usually not a good idea. And, and I, I do agree with that because I think the <clears throat> the one challenge with delegators, um, maybe, you know, who knows what UI that they're actually looking at uh, that, that shows in that data. So we might have something in MinScan that says, hey, you know, or I don't know, in Kepler that says, hey, when you when you delegate here, your rewards might be lower because of X, Y, Z. But there's nothing saying that the Cosmos Station Wallet would do that or, you know, ping or there's so many ways to stake that. So you could get in a situation where a delegator is just, just picking a name out of a hat and they're getting lower rewards and they don't know why, right? And so, because we don't have, not every UI is being able to show that. So that I think that's, that's a bit unfair. Now, blocking the transaction and the transaction fails and you have a error message there, then, then that's a little bit more actionable, right? They can do something about that. But, but I agree. And, and I think, you know, the, I don't know, it's just such a, it's such a tough problem because you don't, you also want to leave it as a free market, right? You want to be able to, you want to be able to, to say, Hey, this is, you know, there's who says it's 4% and could it be 5% of the VP or is it 8% or like, is it, does it matter by chain? Right. And, there's so many there's so many decisions related to that that would um, that even a decision on chain A might not make a difference or it might not be the same as on a on a different project right because of you know specific reasons. Sonny, I have, I have a question for you as as um, as a you know we, we, I don't think we asked other I don't think we've ever asked other project I don't know what, what your title is but as project leadership let's say or somebody who's heavily invested right um, how what so this this idea of of like delegation spread right and the and the curve of 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 vp and those types of things how much of a concern is that to the osmosis ecosystem as from a project perspective is it something that why is it a concern and and like like specifically like like and 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 i think the biggest question for me is what does a perfect distribution look like like what would you if you had to say all right we get to lay it all out and we think this is what we what we think is be the best thing for the project long term. Do you guys have a do you have a definition of what that would be? Like is what does that look like? You're on mute. Yeah. Um I think that like the 
you know, I don't think necessarily a perfectly even distribution is what's like ne- needed, right? You want the val- yes. certain validators to be able to have more because if they're you know contributing more to the network, they should be able to that should be represented somehow. Um, but I think what you know the biggest risk factors is just like you know I think like like you mentioned like who gets uh, like how how many validators have to go down uh, for the chain to be able to like be paused or something especially around upgrade times that's when it gets kind of annoying when there's like when you sometimes have like very large validators with a lot of voting power but there's you know they're just consistently the ones that are mia when you need them and stuff and so like that's sort of a, a a problem and like being able to make sure that like we don't have those like points of failures on just a handful of validators is 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 important um the yeah. Yeah. So I think like, I mean, here's actually another one a mechanism you could use. Um, mm-hmm. This is actually something Polkadot came up with early on. I don't know if they actually did it or not. I haven't looked at it, but I remember they had this early idea of like you, everyone selects the validators that they are okay with delegating to. Like you, here's a list of like all, you know, tw- 20 validators that I, are on my trust list and then it will automatically shuffle stake around to be maximally decentralized with everyone. It'll take into account everyone's preferences and try to calculate a result that will be like, okay, here's a way that we can put everyone's only delegating to validators that they are okay with, but then it's still maximizing, like, you know, how, trying to make it as equal as possible. Wow. That's wow. pretty interesting. That That's yeah. totally speaking my language. Um, Approval voting is my yeah. favorite voting form. So if you're integrating <laughs> that, that, that's the way I want to do it. So do you, do you guys worry about it from a governance perspective? I mean, the opposite side yeah. of the... So the, the governance opp- perspective is the, probably actually the thing we worry the most about. Is, but I think for that, we just need to make it so people can like, you know, you shouldn't be having your validators uh, take over all of people's votes. Like it's uh, even like if they do take over some of it, I think what it should do is like, you know, maybe like... 25% of your vote gets given to the validator can use 25% of your voting power. But then if you come vote, you use a hundred percent. So that way there's even still an incentive to, even if you agree with the way that your validator voted, you there's still then like you should still go vote yourself as well, because that way you could use the full hundred percent of the voting power. See, now you're speaking my language. Cause that, that's one of the areas that I I've always had really, just I don't know. It's like a little bit of a validator power trip, I think, in some areas. But this idea that I get to vote non-voting shares at a hundred percent always seems to be, honestly, in my eyes, it, it just never made sense to me. Like I think voting at a, a lesser percent that that makes that makes total sense or or some sort of balance there because I think my delegator's vote is as important as my viewpoint on it. Um, and so I'm I'm glad that when we both vote we're both equal. But if they don't vote and I vote 100 percent of their shares, that always seemed like a little bit of a I don't know. Yeah, I think somebody who votes has has more should have more weight than my opinion on somebody who's not voting. Mm-hmm. So uh, you guys mentioned like um, you know worried about having this stuff happen at like outside the protocol. I guess like so. I mean, one of the things you know. For some of this stuff, um, for example, like being able to delegate, let's say being able to delegate your vote to other uh, people other than your validator, right? Like this is something we've wanted to do 
in the governance module forever, but it's just something that we on our priority stack just hasn't been able to get that high up. And but now with like actually auth Z, you can actually do a lot of this stuff off chain. Uh, and you know, I was talking to uh, Tom uh, from EcoStake and like, you know, he, so he built restake.app and he was, you know, we were just like brainstorming like, oh, what are other cool things you could do with it? Um, one of them was like, hey, should it, should he build a thing where like you can, ought, let's say you want to delegate your voting power, your governance to someone who's not um, a validator or not your validator, you should be able to like, can I just give auth Z access of my governance thing and they could build a service that does that. So do you guys think it's like dangerous to put this kind of stuff in these, like, you know, let someone like restake.app build this as sort of um, like a centralized service that you makes use of auth Z kind of stuff. Or do you think that it's like, it is very important to have this like natively on chain. No, you're, you're muted. Like AuthZ is still, in my opinion, on chain and auditable, right? So, if you have, um, yeah. So if if restake.app included some sort of, um, you know, governance um, auths that you could delegate someone to do your governance for you, right? Or or say there's like you know this multi-sig that's super wrinkle brain and everyone wanted to give them their vote because they always make good decisions, right? Mm -hmm. There could be um, another platform that audits that. They could have like, you know, um, something that's an interface where it picks up the vote and and what was done through AuthZ and verifies like it's just, just listed. It says they voted this and this is the wallets that were voted and this is the vote percent or something like that. So, I mean, if it is on chain, it is auditable, right? So, uh, whilst it might be through a, a centralized uh, web interface, it's still on chain effectively, and you're still making those transactions to give that authorization on chain. So, that yeah, yeah in my opinion, it's still on chain, uh, not not off chain. But yeah, I mean, everything is accessed. If there's Probably ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of transactions on chain are accessed through a GUI that's developed by someone. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you know, Tom and Terry Farmer doesn't come in and buy Osmosis on the CLI <laughs> <laughs> and then do some voting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess everything you know, unless you're a validator or a developer. You're probably not going to use the the CLI to do anything. So um, mm -hmm. every every other avenue into the blockchain is through a, a third party built um, tool of some description. And I guess any of the use case there would be that you might have uh, governance groups that form. It's almost like a DAO at that point, right? You're almost get to the point where you're I'm auth seeing my vote to some sort of group or individual that says, "Hey, the way this person is going to vote." or this group is going to vote, I want to vote, right? So we have mm -hmm. similar ideals and those types of things. So, um, which I guess somewhat happens today on the validator side, but maybe not quite, right? And it's kind of the idea that's what's supposed to happen on the validator side. I think I think other use cases for Authy, I think, are great. I, I think that um, I, I always feel that anything that encourages voters to get involved is and make their own decisions and vote is obviously better than trying to either Authy that out or or... <laughs> 
letting a validator vote their shares. But but if that means that you have more involvement and people are more active around picking groups or individuals that they're uh, you know providing you know that that responsibility to, then maybe that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. Ultimately, it, it is a little bit difficult. Like if you if you concentrate any amount of vote into any one hand, right, then that hand can then be bribed or, you know, have their nails pulled out or anything like that. So um, I suppose, you know, for example, and, and Jacob would completely agree with me on this if he was here, one of the big problems with having a concentrated governance vote is being able to rob the community pool there is a, a big incentive to be able to rob the community pool, right? So if you've got the, the voting power in um, the hands of two or three entities, um, it's not beyond belief that if that's a high-value uh, community pool that someone could just go to their house and hold their family at gunpoint and pull their fingernails out and make them vote the way they, they want to vote, Right. It's not even necessarily that they might be a bad actor. It's that there is enough vote there to do meaningful damage um, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So it's the same if you delegate that vote to um, John and uh, John lives in Kansas and and he's like, um, you know, doxxed, then someone can just go around to John's place and make John vote the way they want John to vote. So... I think any any concentration of voting power anywhere is dangerous to me. No matter I where. Um, I I think that your point is apt, but I think that you're kind of I would say you're missing the force for trees a little bit. You're talking about like violence getting to people and stuff, and I think that's true. But I think that just the social aspect of it is really simple. If you have if you have the vote spread across hundred people, you have to convince well hundred entities. You have to convince hundred entities to vote a certain way, right? If you have three people. You can just message them in DMs and say, hey, this is my project. It's pretty cool. And just being friendly, that's very convincing to people, right? So just sending a DM would be enough to sway their vote whenever before they were they were going to vote. No. So, yes, there's the violence aspect, but it's so much simpler than that. And I think that's kind of the scariest part of it to me. Yeah, so I guess my, my example was probably a bit of an extreme um, in, in that, you know, I guess the point of that was that it would make the whole of the community pool more vulnerable than if it was distributed. But definitely there is the social point of view and I get people in my DMs trying to convince me of stuff when there is votes on things. I just say, look, don't DM me because ultimately <laughs> I'm going to do my research and vote the way I want anyway. So uh, you DMing in me is not an influence, so just stop. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I imagine you'd get the same thing, Sonny, like uh, with governance proposals. I, I imagine that before people put governance proposals up, you get a lot of people, uh, you know, trying to talk to you about them and stuff like that. So, um, but, yeah, so Usurper, we yep. had plenty to talk about other things um, <laughs> this week, right? Because I think yep. we've kind of talked about this a fair bit now and, I think we all agree that, um, you know, there are some issues that need to be um, sort of ser- like looked at 
in a serious way, but um, I think the way forward is not really clear to anyone yet. Probably requires a lot more discourse and discussion throughout um, various discords and Twitter and, and whatever else. So, I mean, um, I'm hopeful that we we find a decent way to um, to move forward with that that doesn't penalise people um, for being active and and providing extra value. Um, but also like at least tries to distribute the the weight in the like the stake weight. Um, so I did actually bring up uh, just there before was um, a graph from uh, Blockpain's website that just shows the locations of um, validators. So I'll, I'm just going to pull it up again because uh, I think this is quite interesting. I don't know how many people are aware um, that this exists, um, but this is. Uh, osmosis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are so many different things that can happen with the internet, right? So, this is Hetzner. Uh, Hetzner holds a lot of the validators for osmosis. So, if something catastrophic happened to the Hetzner system, I'm almost certain that osmosis would mm-hmm. cease to function until they sorted that out. Um, and if you look at any of these uh, locations over here, like Germany and the US, um, you know, if there was something catastrophic that happened to the internet uh, mm-hmm. at either of those locations, then I'm almost certain that mm-hmm. it would stop working. <laughs> and to be fair, this is this is not validators. This is all nodes, right? So. Like this is this is all nodes oh, that are, yeah. are Sorry, participating. Uh, so it does. It's not a validator specific thing. It's I think it's all nodes. So, um, but still, I mean, the, I, I'm guessing it'd probably be in a similar ratio. And we'll put a link to the show notes for people can check that out. Yeah, that that is a good point. Um, so Usurper, let's yeah. talk about more uh, pointed osmosis things. All right. Um, do you want to lead us through that? Yeah, Sonny. Do you want to do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Now that yeah, we're sure. 46 minutes in. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Hey, guys. My name is Sunny. <laughs> um, I'm one of the co-founders of Osmosis. Uh, I've been working in Cosmos for a, about five years now. Uh, started in summer of 2017 as an intern at uh, the company previously known as AIB and then Tendermint and then Ignite and then now something else i don't know what it is anymore um but yeah so i've been working on cosmos sdk and ibc and uh tendermint for a long time um kind of built out a lot of the tooling uh these core tools and once all of them were kind of ready we were like well let's try to build an app an actual application with them and that's kind of uh started working on osmosis as sort of the first obvious thing to build yeah I think one of the things that we were that we were slightly talking about before was um, like the this role of governance and uh, taking mm-hmm. action, those types of things. And this podcast, we've talked a lot about Juno Prop 16, mm-hmm. right? And like actually making a mutable change to something that occurred, right? And then what I was going to say with what Mel just said around look, this, these groups and these validator conversations and this governance conversation will will continue, and I hope it continues quickly because this is the time to do it when there's not like an emergency in front of you, right? Where you don't really have a bill of rights or a group or some, some things, you know, like some, some specific 
uh, rules that I think there's agreed upon that, you know, there is as validators or as chain operators, et cetera. So you guys, we just, we just had a halt, right? We, we saw each other in consensus mm-hmm. and like that night before we saw the war room pictures and like all the things that were going on. And I think you guys were also, if I remember correctly, um, there's four accounts. I think we talked about this. There were four accounts that were kind of larger numbers and two of them came forward and there's another two. And was there, was there some talk about making a chain state change or anything else associated with that or that, that ever guys, you guys even talk about that and saying, what do we want to do about this or, or not really in that sense? Um, not really. I mean, uh, I think for us, we kind of highly valued the immutability of the chain there. I mean, I guess we were, there was some talk, I guess, about potentially, uh, like, freezing accounts mm-hmm. that that not like seizing assets from the accounts but just making it so those accounts couldn't transfer and then like letting governance figure out what it wants to do or get, at least giving them but it, it just got very messy for us because like it right. was unclear to us like by what authority do, do we as the dev team get to decide to freeze these accounts and uh a couple options that we were floating around was potentially just restarting the chain with only governance enabled and all other functionality is disabled. Uh, and then governance can figure out what it wants to do from there. Uh, other options were we put out multiple copies of the code, uh, one that has account frozen, one that doesn't. And then we just let validators decide which version of the code they want to run. And we don't make any recommendations. Um, in the uh, end... Okay. Yeah. Commander, for quick, what 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 are you talking about with, with four accounts, four big accounts? What 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 happened there? So yeah, so maybe I can give some background on that. Yeah, on that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So you know, there was a bug on the V9 upgrade of Osmosis that uh basically allowed LP every time you join a pool, it gave you more LP shares than you were supposed to have. Um oh, a few accounts. Talking... Yeah. Okay, I know what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. And a few accounts got m- Few, there's a handful of accounts, like more than four of those, around like six or seven, that like exploited the bug, where like they would add, withdraw, add again, withdraw, and basically right. cycle that and get a lot of assets out. Um, a lot of the r- r- funds had actually been fully returned, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. So I don't know. I guess yeah. I mean, we like floated the idea, but I think what we were realizing was it's like, you know. At the amount that was lost, which was like, uh, you know, at about $5.5 million, I think we valued the immutability of the chain higher. And we were like, we would rather actually the foundation cover that full cost than like go make irregular state changes to the chain. Uh, that That's also, but that's also kind of a, there's some timing that worked out in that favor as, as well, right? Because this is last week and we're, <coughs> where we are from a, in this in this winter that we're living in, it's it's crypto winter was so bad that even Nell had to put a coat on for this <laughs> for this call. That's how that's how cold it is here. Um, so, but if if we were not in that situation, right, and we were ten x where we are, would that decision change? Um, I I think it's a big yeah. I mean, I, look, if it was ten x where we are, I don't think uh, the you know, the foundation would not be able to, there's an amount that the foundation has a treasury of that it can cover. Uh, The other thing though, as well, is it's also, I think it's more important as a percentage of the network. Uh, 
yeah. of the liquidity, right? Like, you know, the hack was, you know, it's high, but it, it realistically, it was actually less than like 2.5% of the TVL of osmosis. Sure. Um, and so is is doing in a regular sh- it was i don't think it was at any point i don't think it was like an existential like threat to osmosis um right if it was like you know if we're talking it was like 50 percent, 75 percent of osmosis's tbl then yeah i think you know at that point there's like an existential threat to osmosis yeah. that right. maybe then does justify um more drastic action yeah well and, and i think that in that like there's some so there's some there's some decisioning there, right? And yeah. so now like that helps you look back, I think, as we talk through these governance type of things, like like what would be that percentage? Like where does it yeah. where does it become where does it become a threat where we would, you know, kind of it's tough that it's it's always interesting to have like a viewpoint and some kind of guidelines around this, but there's at some point I think all those guidelines sometimes go out the window, right? Because there's <laughs> just so much of a threat that it needs to happen. Yeah. So I know I know you went through a bit uh, a bit of a root cause. Um, at OsmoCon, there's a, a YouTube video of that up, and you kind of talked a little bit around that. Have you guys published like a like an in-depth root cause analysis of, of what actually failed? And I think the follow-up to that is like, what can validators do? Mm-hmm. You know, like like how we, we talked about this, I think also back on the Juno uh, issue with uh, Prop 20 when there was a mistake on the burn address. Yeah. Um, or not the burn address, but the transfer address in the contract. And like, how do, how does, how do we build like better processes for making sure that those, those types of things don't happen? Right. <clears throat> so we'll do a proper, like we're, we're still working on like a, <clears throat> a full bug report that kind of explains like, Hey, here's exactly what went wrong. I mean, it was kind of simple. It was what was, happening was uh when when you when you do an ad liquidity basically it does mm-hmm. it does what it does is um it takes you know you have two assets but they're not exactly at the same ratio as the spot price of the pool so what it would do is the it would do two steps it would first take um fifty <clears throat> percent you know it would match the even amount based off of the smaller asset and then it mm-hmm. would take the excess and then do a trade against the pool to like get it to a 50-50 and then add the rest in. And just in that calculation, we double counted the uh, larger side, basically. And so that's what caused it to have slightly more, um, that, that, that's what caused it to give out 50% yeah. more LP shares. This was, you know, I mean, I, I mean, there's the bug itself, but I think what's more, more important is like how, why the bug got in. Um, yeah. I think right. that there's like a lot of, you know, I think part of it was like, I mean, I'll admit that I think our team was rushing quite a bit in the last like one month, ever since like the terror collapse, basically there's been this like on like new slew of like uh, developers coming on to osmosis. And we were kind of, you know, the, the, we kind of rushed this V9 upgrade uh, because we wanted to get the token factory module in. So that way these developers could start doing stuff with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we, so we didn't go through like the normal testing processes we normally do. Or like we, you know, we never, we didn't connect the front end to the test net in the way that, right, how we, how, how we normally would. Right. <clears throat> and so, yeah, there's all these sort of things that like, you know, we kind of didn't do properly. And then in general, I think the biggest thing that I, that's important going forward though, is like making sure these, we have more. Mm, better documentation and like understandability of the code. Like I think uh, right now, 
you know, there's the Linus Torvald quote about like, given enough eyes, all bugs are shallow. And like right now it's hard to get more eyes on the code just because it is sort of not as well documented as we would like. Um, there, and so we try, one thing we did with validators on, on the V10 upgrade was, uh, we kind of like offer, we did a zoom call where we walked through like, Hey, here's all the changes. Here's the bug. Here's all the changes that we're making as part of this upgrade. And that's like really helpful. Cause like it just gives more people were able to ask questions. Um, the, uh, one of the validators who used to be an auditor, he was like providing some feedback of like, Hey, I think you can improve your, like the way you do like the tests here and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was really helpful. Um, <clears throat> and just in general, like, I think having better code comments and stuff is like, so when other people are doing code reviews, uh, when we're merging PRs, I think that's like, you know, without these like comments and stuff, that's, it's hard to do proper code reviews. So basically we're doing a couple of sprints right now where we're not like working on new features or anything. We're just like sp spending the next couple of sprints just on improving our docs and comments and test coverage and stuff. So Sonny, um, just on like testing mm -hmm. and um, and code commenting, right? And I mean, unless you're like a bit of a gun on Go, it's basically unreadable to anyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, like, I I I started to learn um, coding like back when I was before uni, right? And mm -hmm. and when they were teaching me, like, they used to teach that you know without comments you know, things are very hard to come back and look at later on um, yep. and, and you know, structuring code and all that type of stuff. Like, do you think that nowadays that's not really that prevalent, that people are looking at their code from the point of view of other people being able to read it later and being able to work on it later and, and commenting and, and providing, like, context for other modules and stuff that it interacts with and, and that type of stuff? Um, I mean, it's not like we're not doing it. I think we could definitely be doing a better job at it. Yeah. yeah. Like b some of the modules that we've written, um, you know, I think it'll be very difficult for someone else to come pick it up and like start. It'll it's very difficult. And part of it is, I, I don't, I think the Cosmos SDK has a lot of room for improvement on just like, there's just so much boilerplate code in the Cosmos SDK that makes it very hard to like, review things and like follow along with what's going on like removing a lot of that boilerplate i think is like a big sort of design goal uh for the for the cosmos sdk so could you um maybe just walk us through a little bit about the uh design process at Osmo osmosis because you guys are obviously all in the same well mostly probably all in the same area and and work out of a, a location right do you know no, no we're you, we're like fully geo distributed across yeah everywhere so do you guys do like um do you develop like pseudo code and flows and stuff before you actually start coding like is there a a process about how you um, look at what you want to do and then, you know, modularize it and, and do various bits and pieces and organize it before you start coding or are you guys just straight into it and then debug? <laughs> well, usually try to write a spec, uh, like be like, okay, here's the general messages that we want. The But it's definitely not um, as low level as, a you know, definitely nowhere close to like pseudocode and like here's what, 
what we'll be doing. It, it's more of like sort of interface design first and then going and implementing stuff. So, you know, these are things that we, we, we're, we're going to be trying to improve on. And like, yeah, oftentimes, like, yeah, I, I think there was, I think we've just been putting a lot of emphasis on like velocity and just like s- speed of getting things shipped. And I think that we need to like a little bit slower on that and like make sure we're spending that. Like, ideally we want all these like workflow like, uh, and and everything, but like we, we just didn't have them because of that, you know, we were trying to get stuff out faster basically. So c- correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the upgrade that had this issue, there was quite a big refactor that went on in that um, in the upgrade, AMM right? module. Yeah, yeah. So it, that it, was, it was sort of a generalization of the AMM module, where current uh, earlier version of the AMM module, like it was only for like the current balancer style AMMs. But then we basically made an interface for AMM, so that way we can add other pool types like the stable swap and things like that. So that's sort of why. Yeah, so there were, but then we actually removed the stable swap code from the upgrade because we we realized that we didn't have enough time to like test it properly. Uh, but we didn't. Uh, we kept the actual refactor itself of the AMM when when that w- wasn't really the main part of the thing was like that wasn't really the main focus of this upgrade. Uh, we we had spent like which is why we you know the main thing was the token factory and stuff and that's what we had spent a lot of time testing and then even within the refactor like we we made big changes to how single sided liquidity adding works and so we had a lot of tests written for that but not for like the very simple things which we thought like hey you know we didn't actually change the functionality here right yeah okay so going forward like especially on big refactors um, and ad- added like uh, functionality. Um, do you guys plan to like have a gateway process where, you know, you have to meet certain criteria before you're going to push things to the mainnet? Like, you know, for example, um, going to your testnet, uh, getting, you know, certain amount of volume of testing on uh, certain functionality before you even think about pushing it to a mainnet rather than, um, yeah, you know, reducing the YOLO approach a little bit. Yeah, we're definitely going to have like more, you know, have the testnet running for longer. Like I think this time the testnet was running for like a day or two before we did mm-hmm. the upgrade. And like I said, we didn't connect the front end to it. So it's kind of it was hard for anyone to really test against it. Um, on top of that, uh, yeah, you know, just working, like thinking about like new like test, Mo- testing models to make sure things are test. You know, uh, one of our advisors was telling us about this like thing called mutation testing, where what it does is it like modifies your code and checks to make sure that tests should break if it modifies your code. And so uh, that's like a way of testing to make sure your test frame, your test, your your tests actually had enough coverage. Yeah, yeah, because. It- it would be quite difficult to build like a, a test suite to automatically test like all the all the different um, scenarios in in like these networks. Mm-hmm. It'd, it'd be really hard, uh, and it would break every time you like made mm-hmm. an upgrade. <laughs> one, one thing that we kind of a tool that's like in our toolkit that we kind of have, um, you know, haven't used because that basically I think the SDK needs to like go. Uh, we need to go like improve it again, which is the simulator. So the simulator right. it basically allows you to like, you know, 
it'll automatically spam different transactions and you can set invariants that will check that like, Hey, these are invariants that should be broken. We, you know, earlier, you know, earlier on we were using it pretty heavily, but then it just became sort of like unwieldy and unmaintainable that we kind of like stopped using it. And so I think we need to go spend time on like, fi- like fixing the problems that we had with the simulator so we can make it so we can start using it again. A, a simulator is something. Oh, we'll ask them. I think that, that you would need to build code, right? Like you, you wouldn't be able to leave it. You, you couldn't say, you couldn't do a month of development and then go back and, you know, if, if you really want your simulator to be robust, you would need to pretty much do it in parallel with your code development, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, like, I mean, basically what we would need to do is like make it so anytime PRs are merged, it has to come with like, you know, the proper simulator changes as well, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So keep in mind all this I'm talking, I'm not a coder. I'm just, uh, I'm only talking about what I know about. So um, I'm going to sit back and and see if uh, Schultze or Usurper um, have any more to say on that particular subject. I'm, I'm definitely a little curious. Um, I know, Sonny, you and the Osmosis team have gotten a little bit of flack for not having a test coverage. I'm curious what test coverage looks like in the blockchain space right now. And if there's like, if there's any sort of like QA process that's normalized, if there's, you know, like, I don't think I've ever seen a blockchain test engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Is that just considered kind of uncommon at this point at this time in the, in the blockchain ecosystem? Um, I'm not really sure like how other chains do it, but I mean, yeah, like, you know, like I said, I, we're, we're, we're going to be adding like, you know, we're, we're hiring someone to just do QA, like in the sense that like, Hey, you know, just playing around like with the test net basically. And like using the UI and like just trying to find bugs, not just on the chain side, but also like on the front end side and make sure those bugs are like found before they go to prod basically. Like, you know, we did that big giant like front end refactor and like, you know, it, went pretty smoothly but like you know even once we pushed the prod there was like all these like you know got a lot of bug reports and stuff that we were able to fix but like having that stuff like be found before then is is important yeah yeah i'm not sure what like what the standards are on other chains to be honest i mean part of it is that like you know we we've been trying to move faster than like other chains where you know Things like Ethereum have these like really long development life cycles where they like upgrade once, uh, you know, uh, a year at best. And um, and I know they spend a lot of time testing everything. They have like months and months of test nets uh, before right. anything goes live. So, you know, I think, we, yeah, we're, we're, we're probably going to want to like slow down. You know, I think we've done an we've been trying to aim for like one almost like one upgrade every one and a half months, and so we have to figure out how to like either slow that down or be like figure out how to like um yeah like just kind of like planning for like what goes into upgrades better. Yeah, and now that the functionality is growing, we'll talk. I think we can switch gears and talk a little bit about the future as well. But that mm-hmm. functionality is going to keep growing, and so this idea of a growing regression test test suite should absolutely needs to be there right i mean mm-hmm. you're, now you're gonna have these these modules are not independent right now there's a lot more integration between modules and you're gonna have lending and all these other types of things that we're talking about and they're gonna have integration across the board yep. where even the simple like you said in this one this was like a you were testing new parts of that of that um 
of that bonding, but not the very simple use cases, right? And that's just a that's just a te- that's a regression test, right? That's all that yeah. is. And so now, I know then 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 you, that that starting to be building into into those release plans and everything else. It's like turning into a big company, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all these growing pain type things. But we were we talked about this a, a few weeks ago too, and when I think when the um, when Juno Prop twenty or twenty one came around. And we, I think the conversation we hear is, is it better to, to move fast and break things or is it better to, right, and, and be able to fix things as they come? Or is it better to, you know, have really long breaks in there where you're, you know, doing months and months of testing? And I think I think every every chain will find the balance between those two, right? Like just depending yeah. on what you guys are doing, what's going on. So, yeah. So I switching think, gears, go ahead. No, say, please. I was just saying, I think, well, I can't, I can't just kind of, kind of, kind of relate to into the, while you're like the, future stuff but it's like yeah. you know, i think one thing a nice thing with like the bear market is like you know we can spend we can move a little bit slower and like i feel and they kind of relate to like feature development as well in the sense that like there's also there's all these like features that like we've wanted to build uh but we know these are like long time frame things they take they that you're going to take on the order of like three to six months but we had to, we kept prioritizing the one or two month like faster wins instead of those like longer term things. And but now we can go spend time on these like more long term things. Let's talk about those long term things. So you want to talk about like what's coming up next and mm-hmm. and uh, some of the some of the plans and thoughts related to that. I know these guys had some questions related to that too. Yeah, sure. Um, so we have you know a couple of things coming up. Uh, you know, one, for example, is the uh, threshold encryption, right? That's like a long-term thing that like, that was actually the original reason why Osmosis was started was we wanted to build like privacy in the mempool. So that way there's no front running that could happen. Um, and so we designed this whole threshold encryption solution. Um, and then we've start build out pieces of it, but like, it's just something we know is a six month Wide, long project so we haven't been able to dedicate fully towards like you know making sure that's like what we're shipping um so that's one but then there's also like um order books definitely you know i think that we, you, I, passive amms are good for uh the tail end and bootstrapping of new markets which is what a lot of the cosmos ecosystem has been right now but that as we bring in assets like ETH and WBTC and all these like larger assets, you know, we need more con- better use of the liquidity than like AMMs can provide and traditional AMMs can provide. So definitely going down, like building an order book style system. Um, it's going to look, and it's going to end up looking more like Uniswap V3 more than like what you people are, that's like Uniswap yeah. V3 is the right way to build on chain order books, basically. Um, so that's kind of we're going to be building that out. So, so, um, so describe. Take a second. To describe that. That that's you're basically creating a swap situation between. It's almost like a limit order, if I understand it correctly, right? You're setting like a a boundary to say I'm okay to swap as long as that it's within this area, right? So I'm not. Is that is that right? Is that is that layman's version of that? Yeah. So what it is is um. So how Uniswap V3 works is when you put a. You you in a normal AMM, you put your liquidity. You're basically putting your liquidity on this like well, like full range. You can imagine like on yeah, you're you're basically putting it full range where like you're saying that hey, your market making no matter what the price goes to, you mm-hmm. want to maintain some ratio 50-50 ratio at all prices. Um, 
what the what a concentrated liquidity would say is, hey, you know, it's like let's say this is a pool for a stable coin, stable coin pair, right? Um, you know, we have our stable swap that should be coming much sooner. But like another way you could do it is you can just say, hey, I'm going to put all my liquidity in this tight band mm-hmm. of between like ninety five cents and a dollar five cents, and that way, what will happen is if the uh, you're you're using all your liquidity there, that decreases the slippage in that bound. But mm-hmm. if the price goes outside of that band, you end up holding all of one of the assets. So uh, the less work. And, and so this is actually, and what will usually happen is, you know, market makers will like, you know, keep readjusting which bands they're providing liquidity over. But if you want to be more passive, you can do that as well. You could, you can say, Hey, I want to be a liquidity provider over a wider band or even full range if you want. Um, one thing you could do to it, though is you can these things are kind. If you if you notice, it's kind of like a limit order where if if let's say the price is at one dollar, you have a band from like one dollar five cents or dollar ten cents, um, and then if the price goes up to a dollar twenty, you end up holding all of the token at that dollar ten price. But the problem mm-hmm. is if the price goes back through the other direction, you end up undoing that trade because you know, you're, you're, you're LPing, you're provide, making the market on both sides. What you could do is if you want, you could, ha- if you wanted to, you could, you could have it act more like a limit order where you say, okay, once it passes through the tick one time, remove liquidity from that. If you wanted to, you can mm-hmm. have it automatically removed from that pool and that it acts like a limit order basically. And so it's nice is because what it basically is a way of building these like kind of limit orders on top of in AMM. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason this is better than like a traditional order book is like it's unclear whether traditional order books can actually scale on blockchains, right? Like uh, even your centralized exchanges throw their like clusters of GPUs uh, at peak times of peak throughput and they struggle to keep up, right? And like on Solana, Serum works at normal times, but unclear if it works at peak times. Um, you know, I mean, DYDX, you know, we saw that they just announced that they're coming to Cosmos. So, so yeah. I mean, what they're doing though is to solve this is they're actually not running the order book on chain. They're going to be running order books in the mempools. Every validator sort of has their own mempool order book and then only settled trades go on chain. I think, I think that that actually probably will help solve a lot of the scalability problems. I think that comes with a huge host of MEV problems. Hmm. Um, but, the concentrated liquidity design is how you it what it allows you to do is it allows you to do bigger tick sizes so let's say instead of like 0.1 cent ticks it will be one cent ticks but because intra tick there is built-in slippage so it'll basically is a way of making on-chain order books more scalable so with that would you have been able to protect yourself in some fashion from the terra luna drop if you had set it such that if Terra goes from ninety dollars to eighty-five dollars, you you exit the pool automatically. Is that, is, that, um, is that a potential thing you could? That would actually be a little bit different. That would be more like a stop order, um, not a limit order. A limit order would be worse because you would have, uh, let's say you let's say, let's say you were a limit order in the uh, in let's say there was a USDC 
UST pool and or let's say there was the UST euro pool, right? You might have been on a much tighter bound and you could have actually lost more because you were you concentrated your, your liquidity more there. Um, stop orders are slightly different, which, uh, you know, there is a team building them on osmosis right now called autonomy. Um, and I think stop orders will get better, especially when you can start to put them you can put them on chain with like threshold encryption. The problem with putting them on chain directly right now is there's people are, are going to go stop order, stop order hunting where, you know, they're going to see the kind of like what's happening on Ethereum right now with all these like liquidation hunting. It's going to be like similar with like the stop orders as well. Okay. And what's, what's beyond that, Sonny? What's next after that? Oh, yeah. Um, some other stuff, you know, more like better UX fe features around like wallet and custody, basically, like, you know, yeah. things where, you know, uh, session keys, for example, where uh, you should have like different keys that all for the same account, but they have like different capabilities to them, right? Where and like all, sort of like using Auth Z, but you can be like, hey, this key has the you know, it can be in the browser rather than in the wallet, but it like it can do trades, but only up to like five percent of your net portfolio. Otherwise, it you know requires a signature from the wallet, and that way, so you don't have to like pop out your ledger every time you want to do a single right. trade or something like that. So I think that UX experience is like really important. Um, there's also going to be things like. Um, uh, you know, like better like the smart wallet integrations, like social recovery style stuff. Uh, uh, so yeah, I think that, that that's one. Um, and then also just like new user flows, basically. Mm -hmm. Like currently Osmosis is very much like the centralized exchange experience, which is like, hey, you come deposit assets, you do your right. trades, and then you withdraw. Yes. But we want the native, we, want, we also want like the shapeshift style experience, which is like, hey, I have... Uh, ETH on Ethereum. I want AVAX on Avalanche. How right. do I do that in a single click? Not have to do like all these multiple hops, yes. especially if these users don't even have Kepler or something installed. They right. all they have is like MetaMask. Um, how so that that's sort of, sort of something we're working on with the Axelar team of building that out as sort of like a full joint project product together. So would that also be within the Cosmos? Like, could you? Yeah, yeah. So it'll be the same. Where like, oh, yeah. look, you know, you have Juno on. Uh, sure. Juno yeah. and you want stars on Stargaze. So, yeah. you know, that should all just be a single click. Me, try, me trying to ex explain the difference between Juno's native chain and Juno on Osmosis to my brother in law is like, that's like a four day conversation, right? <laughs> like, I'm depositing it. I'm we're depositing it. Like, even, and the same thing with, I think, another thing that you were, you were talking about before was on ramp, which is get, mm -hmm. going through the whole process of getting into Adam and then bringing that in. What does it mean to deposit and everything else? Like, that's, you have to yeah. get over. There's some real mental hurdles there to get over. Um, and oh, I think yeah. lowering those barriers, I think, opens up a giant swath of population, right? Mm -hmm. Ironically, yeah, so I think that one of the things kind of holding back the communication there is just how cheap it is to IDC. Um, <laughs> I was trying to explain what depositing was to someone, and they just thought, you know, change wallets. Well, if you're talking about depositing from like Ethereum to um, yeah. AVAX, then we're talking $10. Now suddenly there's like an impact, right? Yeah. Right. Right. So the fact that it's cheap just really. And just weird, like dissonance. 
we've been spoiled by how good the UX of IBC is where it's like, yeah. oh, okay. You know, if every time you have to do a bridged thing, it's like, oh, it's so cheap and fast. It doesn't really matter. But right. then it's like, when we're trying to like deposit from Ethereum, it's like, oh man, I have to oh, wait shit. Like 20 minutes. And like, <laughs> I got to oh. think about this. Yeah. <laughs> I really got to be planful. Am I moving this or not? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, yeah, like definitely with IBC coins, the web of IBC coins is like just going to get more and more confusing to people um, where like unwinding. So uh, we've talked about this before, Sonny, where IBC is very much a thing where you need to go back and forth across the same bridge between chains. Otherwise, it really starts to get like convoluted um, in terms of if you send an IBC, say from Juno to to um, say you send a Juno from Juno chain to Osmosis chain and now you've got an IBC Juno coin on Osmosis specific to that channel and then you send mm-hmm. it to like the Cosmos through another channel on another relayer, then you start to end up with a thing that you need to unwind at some point, which I think has been avoided like 100% to this point um, through UIs only really being able to um, withdraw a deposit uh, back through those original chains. But so with your um, uh, plan of making, like improving the user experience and being able to, for example, one click have a Juno come from um, uh, Juno chain to become a star on Stargazer, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that actually sounds like quite a complex operation and yeah. would that be the kind of thing that you'd want to achieve through like ICA um, or is that uh, something that would be a chain of events um, because approving a chain of events like that if you use a ledger would probably be an enormous pain mm-hmm. on the outside and even if even if you're just using um, Kepler you'd be sitting there pressing the friggin button like 10 times yeah <laughs> No, no, no. So this would be uh, the idea. It would be a single transaction that you make, and then it like sort of encodes the rest of the actions in that initial transaction. So it would be like you, you make your first transaction on Juno, and it, the entire transaction execution path is like there, where it's like, okay, IBC to Osmosis, swap for stars, take however much stars you get out, and send it to this address on Stargate. So it'll be like a full end-to-end sort of thing. So just so my chicken Philip brain can understand this, right? Is this, um, so would this be a process whereby you give your custody, your, your, um, you give your token custody to like a smart contract or something that would uh, undertake those actions? Or is this some sort of module that can now? This would just be all the client side where we would just, so so what it would do is we would create a new IBC, a new ICS, a new interchange standard, um, which is for this. And, you know, your, your website or whatever front end you're interacting with, it will just generate the entire transaction and it will get you to sign it once and then it will uh, do the rest of the action. So you don't, you you know, this shouldn't require Cosmwasm or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I'd very much like to like. So, have you already written a spec for that, or? Uh, no, this is something that uh, there. Like, I think the so right right now we're not starting with the IBC version. We're starting with the Axelar version, just because the Axelar team is sort of building out a lot of that uh, actual swap system. Because they actually they actually have a lot of that sort of 
a lot of the prerequisites for that already built because mm-hmm. that's how they do their uh, deposit addresses already where uh, how, how it works is like, you know, Axel has this feature where you can um, say, hey, I want to send coins to like this osmosis address, but then it will do is generate an address and you just send coins to it. And what it does is it maps the address that you send to with the user flow, the action that you want, which is send to osmosis. But what they're able to do then is they can map that address to something even more complicated, which is like do a swap and then send to some destination address. So we're going to be sort of piggybacking off of their infrastructure that they've built right now for the Axelar thing. And then after that, we'll, we'll have it work on like native IBC stuff as well. Cool, man. It sounds like a very, uh, difficult and complex Mm -hmm. project to undertake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're we're, we're excited to be doing it. I think it'll be, I think the Axelar team, you know, has built has built the right infrastructure to make it possible. Yeah, that's really so, cool. Um, unless someone else wants to jump in, I, I had like a uh, brief question you touched on earlier, Sonny, about mm-hmm. um, the uh, let's I, I can't remember the term used exactly, but like anonymity in the mempool, um, so that you can't be front run. Is that to do with uh, bots? Um, yes. And uh, yeah, so you're like introducing some um, improvements to be able to try and stop the the bot uh, front running that's going on at the moment. Yep. Has there been much bot front? Have you noticed bot front running on Osmosis? I'm curious to I, have, see I if anyone's doing it. Mm. I've heard about it. Um, I've heard complaints about it draining pools. Um, mm. But you know, I'm not. I don't look into the transactions enough to be able to verify anything myself, but um, mm-hmm. I've certainly heard some people uh, complain about it draining pools. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I think that there probably is people doing bot, bot stuff on osmosis. We're- to exploit. Oh, sorry. Am, yeah, you're back. So I think like wherever there's an opportunity to do bot stuff, people will do bot stuff. Um, yep. And that's just, you know, where there's an opportunity to profit from something, people will be out there trying to profit from it, right? So yeah, while ever there's... Uh, there he goes again. Freaking Australia. <laughs> the internet froze over there, you know? I think yeah. so. Like that's I mean, it. Stop talking. No, he's back. He's back. <laughs> In general, I think I'm happy. You know, I'm. I think it's fine for people to start running these bots and stuff right now because, you know, we shouldn't rely on the altruism of people to solve it. You know, we need to fix the stuff at the protocol layer through things right. like threshold encryption. And you know, I, I think in a, in a funny way, it might be good for people to do some front running on osmosis. So that way, once we solve it with threshold encryption, people like the solution. Where you know. There's no pain. There's no point of pain, painkillers. So, you know, we need to show people that, okay, this MEV issue right. is actually a big issue. And then look, here's the solution. There's the, uh, there's the name of the episode usurper, uh, painkillers mm-hmm. for bot stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's kind of funny is I think it's a delay or something else, but when you, when you, when you say bot stuff, it sounds like butt stuff. And so that's even, that's even, it's a little bit of accident there. So painkillers for butt stuff might be 
I don't know. We might get flagged for that one, though. <laughs> may or may not have been on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should um, we wrap up? Yeah. So we're getting real close to where we want to be. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's let's wrap up, Yusufa. You're good at this. <laughs> well, is there – maybe we could do a – what are you guys excited about? So one thing we kind of wrap up with is a simple question, like what are you excited about in the Cosmos ecosystem this week? Mm-hmm. Is there anything coming up in the next – here between now and the uh, – the uh next wednesday or so um i i'm excited about the pixels on osmosis i don't know yeah. if, if you guys have seen yeah, that we didn't I, talk about it yeah we've while, been while, <laughs> I, I will admit on the, while i'm on this chat i'm also like on the side drawing a little wasmington on the on the pixels <laughs> as well like every third waiting for the every minute i'm just like making one one dot uh it's it's addicting and kind of fun <laughs> so yeah I guess that was kind of fun. And also just like, you know, it, it was supposed to be like, you know, it, I mean, what it was our birthday surprise for Osmosis. So, you know, it was our one year anniversary. Um, so that was really, you know, just exciting to see how far we've come in the last year and just you know, excited to be going further. Yep. Um, so firstly, I'm disappointed that we have to end this uh, because mm-hmm. I've still got just like probably a list of stuff that I could sit here and keep asking. Um, so damn it. Um, but <laughs> so my, my thing that I'm excited about this week is, uh, it, it'll be close to the heart of 80% of the validators out there. And I don't know if it's going to be done in the next week, but our friend block pain is building tender duty V2. And mm, that was mm-hmm. funded, I believe from an osmosis grant. Um, mm-hmm. and whatever it was, mm-hmm. it wasn't enough. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, is that this is probably the one tool that, uh, I think. <clears throat> It's commonly used just across so many validators across so much of um, Osmosis and uh, sorry of, of uh, Cosmos. And we saw a preview yesterday. Schultz, Usurper, and myself would have seen a little snippet of a preview from it yesterday, and it's looking real nice. And um, I'm excited for that. Thanks. Yeah, really cool, Schultz. Yeah, so I'm in the, uh, the Interchains Developer Academy right now. And tomorrow's the completion of it. And so the final exam starts, but um, I don't know. I guess I'm just really excited to have been a part of it. Um, because of it, I've been having a lot of really great dis- developer discussions with people and potentially going out mm-hmm. for grant work or... What is the Interchain Developers Academy? I'm actually not too familiar. Yeah, so the ICF is funding, um, I think there's 150 developers to go through this mm-hmm. course. I think it's oh, academy.cosmos.network. Yeah. And they just provide a step-by-step way of building your own chain, running Cosmos and messing with Cosm.js. There's tests, there's, um, there's dedicated teachers. Anytime you have a question, you can just ask a question in dedicated chats. Really fantastic. I really enjoy it. Um, and this isn't really for next week, but I'm just really excited to have, have been a part of it. It was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. Nice. Can you flunk it? You can flunk it. So the first really? two weeks, yes. So Wow. There's, there's two tests in the beginning, and then there is a final exam. I think the final exam is really the only one you can flunk, and the first two are more of, like, gates for, like, whether you actually are, like, engaged in the academy mm-hmm. or not. Um, there's also a pre-test to, to get in, so you actually have to, like, have some developer experience to, to be accepted. Um, wow. Yeah, Impressive I think that. you can. Um, and part of that is because they'll help you, like, get a job. Like hmm. once you've actually graduated, so if you pass the final exam, you do the final project, then they're going to actively, like there's already mm-hmm. job, like interviews going out and stuff. Cool. 
Very cool. cool well, man. if anyone uh, from there is listening and wants to, you know, we're definitely still hiring at Osmosis, so reach out. Well, there might be some. <laughs> I think there's plenty of people hurting at the moment with uh, busted uh, financials. So uh, yeah. Yeah. could be a lot of people looking for jobs. Um, so just before we jump to you, Usurper, uh, sure. I just want to um, touch mm-hmm. on this from Adam Burke. What does Tender Duty do? So really quickly, Tender Duty is just a um, – It's at the moment it's a Docker container or just a, a daemon that runs and it will connect to a um, RPC node somewhere. Uh, so it will just connect to the network and it will um, basically just ask – the network, every single block, did the uh, validator sign that block and you give the program the validator address. It's a really simple program. It just asks every block, did he did he vote, did he vote, did he vote? And if it doesn't, it returns and says he didn't vote, then it sends an alert through um, a very commonly used uh, alerting system called um, PagerDuty and you get that alert on your phone. Um, you can set a threshold. So you can say, if I don't sign five blocks, send me an alert um, and it's a really good early warning system for validators if they start to not vote. So um, a lot of the other, uh, you know, systems that we use is more uh, reactive later on where, uh, you know, we might be getting high memory usage or something like that. Some of them, some of the other systems we use might give us early indicators. Other things might be catastrophic indicators that are like, you know, something's failed, but Tender Duty specifically model, um, monitors your signing. So as soon as you stop signing, you can be straight onto it. And that might be that your node exploded or it might be that, um, you know, there's some other issue with your signer or something like that, but it gives you an avenue to start um, get in there straight away and start looking at, um, uh, you know, the cause of the issue. So um, Usurper, uh, yeah. what are you excited about, brother? Uh, you're going to rug me here, aren't you? That's okay. You no, can, you're welcome we're not to. Rugging this week. You're, you're, you're more than welcome to, um, <clears throat> one more thing on the tender. I think the one, the one thing I think that everybody, at least who runs it, uh, really appreciates about it is that it's the lowest level you can get to having a, a, a notification that something is actually wrong. There's no, the, the other points of failures and other things like Grafana or, or Zabbix, or you have an agent or you have all this kind of crap, you have a network outage and all this type of stuff. If you, if you can, you can run multiple of these as well. Uh, which I do. I run one in our colo and one outside our colo. Uh, things like that, where you know you get a pretty. If that thing is going off, something's wrong. <laughs> it's time. It's time to get off your butt. So that that makes it extremely, extremely valuable. So I'm I'm really glad that that uh, Todd has received that from you guys at at the at the uh, Osmosis Foundation. Foundation is that right? Um, and uh, it's a it's going to be awesome. So I'm really excited about it. It's just going to help uptime. I think across the board. It's actually from the uh, Osmosis Grants program, not Thank from you. the foundation. I knew it was the, I knew it was the wrong term as soon as I said mm-hmm. it. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, please. Oh, sorry. Just just on that grant, I have to say that Todd is so honorable mm-hmm. that when he put in for that grant, he said no payment until delivery. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, almost every, well, I think every other grant I've seen in there is some upfront and then some on delivery. And this guy is so honorable that he said, nothing until I deliver the product. So that's how right. good of a, like, and he's hurting at the moment and he's still mm-hmm. happy to do that. So sorry, sir, continue. Mate. That's okay. Plus I gave him hell because he's building a hundred thousand dollar product for a 10 great 10 K grant. I was like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta work in this over time. Like it's a, like what he's building. I think it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Um, so uh, I don't have much in terms of uh, test nets or the types of stuff that's going on in the, in the ecosystem. I'm, I think everything's been moving pretty smoothly 
Uh, there's there's a lot of projects that are starting to kind of fire up, you know, new, new test nets and things like that. I think the only thing that's excited about this week, I, I think we're kind of led the conversation around with the governance piece of things and just starting to have better conversations both with, you know, um, with Jake at the Juno and this validator comments thing and everything else. And I think there's a lot of just conversation around it. So I think this is a, this is a good topic for us to keep bringing up on gaming nodes with everybody who comes on. Cause I think there's, there's so many valid viewpoints in here. It's tough to, it's tough to even quantify the problem, much less talk about solutions, but the more little solutions you hear, like what Sonny said earlier around, you know, the slashing idea or other types of things, those are just good solutions to throw into the pot. And, you know, as we, as the, as a problem gets identified, I think start pulling those things up to say, okay, what do we have from this bag that works? Um, mm-hmm. That's cool. I think it's really good. Um, so just finally, there there is a couple of networks um, launching uh, in the next week, I'm pretty sure. So there's T-Grade, which goes live, I think, on the 27th. I'm pretty excited about that, actually. Um, and there is also, I think, Kud. Kujira is going to be launching imminently. I think it's maybe a week uh, within the next week. So two more that we're excited about. So um, thanks, everyone, for coming on. And thank you, Sonny, for joining us, mate, even though you were late. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks, Sonny. But it's it's been really good to be able to talk to you and and pick your brain on various things. And I would love to have you back again sometime because I'm sure we've still got just thousands of questions to ask. Um, particularly yeah, I'm sure the fray will get into some deep philosophical philo- <laughs> philosophical conversation about some random guy from 2000 years ago that decided <laughs> about or something. <laughs> so thanks everyone for coming on and um, thanks everyone for watching. We'll see you all next week. Yeah.